Church, we're in a summer series called Miracles. Now listen to me. You got up this morning and made it to the 9 a.m. service. You got yourself up early, you got yourself all made up, you got yourself all dressed up, and if you got little kids, you help get them ready too. So turn to your neighbor and say, it's a miracle, right? You're, it's a miracle. You're in church right now. I mean, that says something. When I was in junior high, I needed a miracle. I was asking God for a miracle because it was uh, in, you remember gym class when, you, I don't know if you had this in your school, but we had that day where it was a fitness day and you had to like do your thing. You had to like do all these different things. They'll time you and rank you in your class. And there was a lot of pressure with that. I mean, and I wanted to like finish number one in the boys. I wanted to be top dog. And I'd never done it before, even though I was a pretty good athlete. I bet I was, listen to me, I bet I was number, I bet I was in the top three or four uh, in my guy, in, in the class with my guys uh, of, of just athletic ability. Now, I went to a Catholic grade school and it was kind of small. We probably had seven guys total, but still, top three or four, that's saying something. And uh, so I had a shot. So I remember Jim that day, and I don't remember all the details, because again, this is seventh grade, but I remember watching the other boys doing their thing, and they're sprinting, and they're doing their push-ups and all this stuff, and it got to be mean. I, I was thinking, I could beat that. Like, those guys didn't look that fast. They didn't, he didn't do that many push-ups, so it comes to me, and I'm like, and I needed to be number one. Why? I forgot to tell you. Because number one, that's bragging rights, and number two, for the ladies. They like that. So, in seventh grade, you're worried about girls, and I was... Um, so, it, so I, the gym teacher calls me to do my thing. So I start with sprints, do those. I go to, and I don't know the exact order, but I remember hanging on a bar. We had to hang on this bar as long as we could. And as soon as you lose the 90 degree angle in your arm, then they stop the watch. So I hung on that as long as I could. And then I did the push-ups as many as I could. And then it came time for the sit-ups. And I am exhausted by now, but yet I know I have to go all out if I'm going to have a chance. So I get down to do sit-ups. And I forgot what they do with every kid doing sit-ups is the gym teacher will pick a random person to hold their feet. So, and he picked this girl, cute girl, to hold my feet. And it, it, so, so just put this all together. I'm nervous now because she's holding my feet. And when I get nervous, I, I get an upset stomach. At least I did in grade school. So, you know, yes, this is where this is going. So I'm nervous and, 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 I'm, and I'm exhausted. So I'm doing these sit-ups and I'm grunting. I'm giving it everything I've got, Caitlin. I'm like just going and going and going. Seriously, how many times can I fart in the face of a cute girl? 13, I think. The answer is 13, Jake. So, I mean, are you kidding? It was just so... A miracle didn't take place for your pastor that day. It actually turned into a, a bigger problem, which is ironic because I told you last week that, jeez, oh I told you last week that every promise or every miracle begins with a problem. I had a problem after praying for the miracle. But let, let, let's be honest, we're in church. How many of you would say today that in your life, think about what you're going through, think about your life right now. How many, raise your hand if you say, I have some sort of a problem going on in my life, a problem or an issue. Okay, I would think most hands would be up if you, yeah, so I do too. So here's the good news for you and I, that if you put your hand up, you're a candidate for a miracle, okay? You're a candidate for a miracle because every miracle starts with a problem. Last week, if you were here, we looked at a story, the first miracle of Jesus. The problem in the wedding ceremony was that they ran out of wine. And, and Jesus, you, you know, you probably know, he turned the water into wine, and and we, we kind of highlighted the miracle and thought to ourselves, why would Jesus start with that miracle? Why would Jesus start his 
the, the, the miracles that he's going to perform. They're just getting to know this man. And he says, I want to start by turning water into wine. Why that one? Why not? Jesus, why wouldn't you start with like raising somebody from the dead? I mean, do you know Jesus physically like raised people from the dead? That, those are part of his miracles. Do you know, anybody know how many? Any guess how many people Jesus raised from the dead? And, no? Okay, I'll give you the answer. You might have said, oh, Jake, don't cheat, Jake. What'd you say? Yeah, you're right. Good job. My boy. So anyway, three. Jesus raised three people from the dead. There's, there's this um, uh, synagogue leader named Jairus. Jesus raised his daughter from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus. This is maybe his most famous one. Jesus raised a good friend of his called Lazarus from the dead. After four days of being dead, I've said this before, but according to the King James, when Lazarus, after four days being dead, Lazarus stinketh. So anyway, so he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And he raised this other person from the dead. And this other person that he raised from the dead was the first person he ever actually raised from the dead, brought a, a dead person back to life. It's the story we're going into today. And it's the story I've never heard preached on. I've heard the other ones preached on. I've never heard this one preached on, but this is where we're going today. So, and I'll tell you before we get there, in your life right now, if you feel hopeless in a situation, if you are in a dire straits in a situation, and you feel like things just go from like bad to worse, oh my gosh, lean into the word of God right now, because there is a character, the mother, in this story. And that is, that is her, that is where she is at. And I'm telling you, there is hope. So, so I'm preaching out of the book of Luke, and I'm in the seventh chapter. So Luke 7, verse 11. You got your Bible, go there. You got your mobile app, go there. We put it up on the screen, but I love when you open up your personal invitation to God's word because he's going to speak directly to you. Here we go. This is the first person Jesus raises from the dead. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to a village of Nain. That was the name of the city. And a large crowd followed. Understand this. By this time in the story, like this miracle puts Jesus at double digits for the number of miracles he's doing. So he's, he's built a following. There is a large crowd. In fact, one of the miracles he had just performed previously, you might have heard of. It's that famous one where the guy's paralyzed and his four buddies bring him to Jesus. Well, the crowd was so thick that day around Christ that they couldn't even get close to him. They had to like climb the house, dig through the ceiling to get their friend. The crowds were all over Jesus right now. So, and that's important to note. Verse 12, a funeral procession was coming out of Nain. So out of the city as he approached the village gate. A young man who had died was the widow's only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord, I love this as Luke writes this, referring, he knows by this time as he's penning this down, that he knows Jesus isn't just some man, but Jesus is Lord. When the Lord saw her, his heart, his heart overflowed with what? Compassion. Yeah, compassion. Don't miss that. Even his words, just think of the empathy and the words of, of the Messiah. Don't cry. He looks at the widow. Don't cry. It hurt Jesus when she hurts. It, it hurts the Lord when you hurt. He, he, he empathizes with you. He, he mourns with you. Jesus says, don't cry. Why? He, Jesus knows the widow's situation is serious. I mean, first of all, she's a widow. She's lost her husband. 
Now she's lost her, not just son, but only son. And, and by the way, you know what that would mean? She's lost her only means of support. See, a widow 2,000 years ago uh, walking the earth when Jesus walked the earth, that was a, that was a hard lot when you had, no, you had no family left and you have no means of support. In fact, many would have to resort to doing things uh, to make money that would not honor them, would not honor God, and be very dangerous. So, so that's where she is. Oh, by the way, not only that, but the, the crowd that was gathered around the funeral procession, soon they'd be gone. Soon they wouldn't be there either, right? They're going to go back to their lives as well. So she would be, this would be her situation. She would have no husband, no son, no one, and no hope. Oh, by the way, that I tell people all the time when I walk with people that are grieving, and I, I always tell them, I, I, I always want them to be aware that as hard as a funeral is, a funeral procession, many times for the family that's lost somebody, it's harder oh, two weeks later right because everybody else has kind of they love them and they're praying for them but they go back and do their life and start living again and they're kind of left there to still pick up the pieces and also in those situations when people are grieving i tell pastors that we raise up um and this is good for whether you're a pastor or just in the general population this is good for you to know because because people a lot of times in grieving situations they don't know what to do or what to say and, and I always tell pastors that we raise up, I say, here's my advice. When you go and you're walking with a family, especially during a very difficult, like a tragedy or a sudden loss, my advice is so simple. I say, show up and shut up. That is my advice. And it might sound crass, but I'm telling you, so many people feel like they have to say something, and then they say something stupid. I've just, I've just heard it. I, I, I remember doing a funeral for a child in Sioux Falls, and, and a, a person, they didn't... Just cringe when I think about it. But they're talking to the parent. And, and I hear them say, you know, uh, as they tried to help them grieve, they didn't, they just had to say something. And, and she's like, well, you know, at least God, you know, God has another flower in his garden. And I'm like, oh, you, you, okay, first of all, you don't know scripture. Because, but what, what she just told the parent was, God wanted to sharpen his landscaping, so he allowed your child to pass away. I mean, that's the way it can come across to somebody who's like grieving and wondering why this could happen. So I'm like, well, you just need to show up and, yep, that's, that's, that is the, some of the best advice I could give when it comes to, your presence means more than anything in those situations. I'm convinced of it because I've seen it so many times, but yet people feel like they have to say something. So, um, okay, back to the, so the, the woman, we know this, she's in a world of hurt and a world of hopelessness. She is in a struggle. And maybe you're there too. Here's what I would say to her and what I would say to you. You are the exact candidate that Jesus Christ came for. That is the exact person that Jesus came to help. So Jesus now comes on the scene. Here he is. Verse 14. Then Jesus walked over to the coffin and he touched it. The pallbearer stopped. And Jesus speaks. He says, young man, I tell you, get up. Don't miss this. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. Okay, I want to know what he said. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Was it like, did he just kind of like, boo? You know, just, I, I, what did he say? And what about the crowd? 
Were they like, what were they doing? I bet they were trying to get close to him and t- taking selfies like, yeah, zombies are real. Hashtag zombies are real. Hashtag dead not dead. You know, they're just like, it's just, it's a, the scene is obscene. And uh, I bet it was just crazy chaos. Hashtag. Maybe there's another hashtag that said, who is this Jesus? Like, who is this Jesus that scripture says gave the the boy, after he was brought back to life, back to his mother. That's what scripture says. Who is this Jesus? What you witnessed in this, in this um, miracle is the same thing if you, if you really look at every miracle that Jesus did. You witnessed the main ingredient. We've already said the word. You witnessed the main ingredient in every one of Jesus' miracles. The main ingredient in every one of Jesus' miracles compassion every one don't 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 cry even running out of wine jesus knew the family we know that probably from that scripture that he knew them and he has this compassion even in things that we think are menial they weren't menial to jesus because they matter to people and if it matters to you it matters to god and that should give you hope whatever you're going through you, oh my situation doesn't matter well if it matters to you it matters to god so, so, so compassion, and I wrote this down, compassion can't be expressed on the run. Think about that. The huge crowds going both ways had to stop. You're stopping going out, we're stopping coming in. They both have agendas. They both got places to be. Yet they stop, Jesus pauses, and he takes the time to look at the woman, don't cry. Don't cry. He takes time to walk over to the coffin, to the boy. Compassion, you have to stop to express care. You do. This is what makes compassion so unique and so actually, look up here, so elusive. Because we have an agenda. We've got our schedule. We've got our plans. There's things we got to do. We got church, we got baptisms, we got to eat, and then we're going to do it and that. And compassion's never convenient. Oh, compassion is never convenient. I get an email, no, it wasn't an email, it was a message, a text message from a gal this week. God's timing is so incredible. Here's what, what she told me was like, I'm like, this is what we're talking about. This is, man, come up and preach, ma'am. So here's what she sends me. Pastor, on Saturday, I was at uh, the Furniture Mart, and I meet an older woman who was looking at a couch versus a love seat. That hit me because I had downsized recently from a couch to a love seat, and she even told the woman... As they got into a conversation, she said, I I told her I lost my husband three years ago to cancer. So I bought a love seat because I downsized. But she said, the woman who texted me, she said, now I was shopping at the Mart because I I I wanted a couch again. She missed taking naps. Can't blame her. I love naps. Jesus napped on a boat. You should nap too. So she, she, she wanted to upsize now again to a couch. I learned in talking to this woman that her husband's name was Joe. He had stage four lung cancer. I mean, this is at the furniture store. They're talking. So we spent a good deal of time talking about his journey and hers. I mean, picture this scene. We walked, we talked a lot about prayer and God's will and timing. This is a stranger. We held hands and said a quick prayer. I told her, she knows her name, it's Ivy. I told her, I told Ivy that I'd ask my church, Meadows Church, which she did, prayer team knows this, to pray for her. Her husband, Joe, who's been diagnosed, and their family. So please pray for Joe and Ivy. I, I, I'm like reading the story, and it doesn't stop. 
She continues without even taking a breath. Then I meet another family right there at the furniture store. And I, 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 start, uh, I met a family that was shopping for a mom and found out, how did she find this stuff out? Conversation, compassion, stopping and caring. I found out the mom has early Alzheimer's. We talk about that. And I share my mom and dad both had Alzheimer's and I took care of them from home. We talked how hard it is when you're dealing with that, but how so meaningful that is when you spend time with your, your, your parents or people that you love as they get older and struggle with those diseases. We talked about faith and staying connected to God and trusting him. Okay, I'm like, you can't make this up. And then, and then she brings in the sales lady. Then she's like, then the sales lady. I'm like, this is a whole party. Then when talking to the saleswoman at Nebraska Furniture Mart, it turned out she lived close to where I just moved. God's going to put people around you for you to interact with. I'm telling you. I, I'm not, so I had to pause. I just, it's just hitting me. I'm always so, I, this is my agenda and this is my day and there's somebody right here that God's placed before me to just say, just bring up a word, just bring up something, just say something. Three different people in the span of, I don't know how much time she spent doing this, but the sales lady, remember the one that lived close? She shared, you know, she shared with the woman that shared with me? The saleswoman's going through a divorce. People are struggling. We, we've got stage four cancer. We've got Alzheimer's. We've got divorce. So, so the gal says to me, she's like, what, a, what an afternoon. My friend called it Saturday Couch Therapy at the Mart. And I was like, it's a pretty good name. She goes, she goes Pastor, people just opened up and talked. There's, there's a real need for connection. Say connection. Yeah. There's a real need for connection and someone to just sit on a couch and talk with us. I had an amazing time meeting these people and connecting with them on a small level. I don't even know she ever got a couch. I don't even know she cares. Sharing my experience and the strength and the hope and the faith with people she said, I may never see again, probably won't, but that wasn't the point. We never know how God will use us to be of service to others or where he'll use us. Man, I'm telling you, if, if we say that we care about somebody, but we don't act, it's the same as not caring. It really is. And it brings me, I think I got the next point about if, you, if we truly love God, truly loving God always leads to compassionate action towards others. I maybe don't have that point, but you just heard it. Truly loving God always, say always. Yeah, always leads to compassionate action towards people. It always does. Okay, so let's finish our story. Remember, the widow, the procession, the boy, dead, alive. Ah, and that's where we're at. So, verse 16. The crowd is like, oh my gosh. They, they're done with their selfies now. They post it on Instagram. And, and now it says, great fear. Not a bad fear, but a godly fear. Sweeps over the crowd. They praise God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. We saw it. We, you can't deny it. God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. I love that. A mighty prophet, but not just any prophet. Moses was a pretty mighty prophet. right? Ezekiel was an amazing prophet. Daniel, uh, an amazing prophet. They were prophets, but Jesus... Jesus wasn't just another prophet in the long line of prophets. Jesus was the end of the line. 
the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, all that ever was, all that ever is, and all that ever was. He's our hope. Jesus, the greatest prophet, way more than a prophet, a king in a world that is way above this world. So, but they know something. You don't, you don't touch a coffin and a guy comes back to life. There's something about this man, Jesus. There's, but, but here's, so, so, so we know compassion is a big piece of today's message. And you know that for you to truly show compassion, you have to stop and care. Just like at Nebraska Furniture Mart and that story that we heard today, or stories. But this story, it was interesting. Compassion's a piece, and we're going to tie it together. But God, this week, brings me back to the beginning. And the weirdest detail hit me. And I believe it's what God wants you to know. Let's go back to the beginning. Remember verse 11? I'll read it to you again. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. And a large crowd, say crowd, followed him. Verse 12, a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. A young man who had died was the widow's only son. And a large crowd, say crowd, was with them. We've got two crowds. And we've got two very different destinations. You've got a crowd that is following Christ. And trust me, they are celebrating, and they are rejoicing, and they are, they're like, life is happening, blessings are happening. You've got that crowd, and then you've got another crowd. They're not celebrating, they're mourning. Not life, but death. I'll say it a different way. You've got one crowd heading to a city. You've got another crowd heading to a cemetery. This might seem a little weird, but we're in the crowd. One of them. You and I. See, the people that are trusting Christ and maybe have surrendered their life to him and his will and all that, like the people getting baptized today, they're heading to a city. Let me give you a scripture just to show you what it means. Hebrews 11.10. Just look at this. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a what? A city. With eternal foundations. A city designed and built by God. And it's way more than just a city. It is paradise. It is an eternal kingdom. So, so they're going there. And then, like spiritually speaking, as we look at this message, you've got people that are heading to a cemetery. These are people that haven't trusted Christ with their lives. They have not surrendered to the will of God or to, by faith to Jesus. And they're heading to a cemetery. Actually, biblically, biblically speaking, Tim, they're actually already in the cemetery. I'll show you. I gave you Hebrews for the city. Colossians 2.13. You and I, at one point in our lives, and maybe we're still there, or you're still there. I don't know. I'm, I'm out of this. But you were dead because of your sins. You're not just dying. You were dead in the cemetery because of your sins. Because your sinful nature had not yet been cut away. By the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Colossians 2.13. See, the story of the boy and the widow is bigger than just the physical story of the boy and the widow. This is an illustration of what is to come. And here's what hits me. The, the, the boy in the coffin 
And this is the same for, for anybody who is not called on the name of Jesus, who are in it, maybe, you're, not maybe, we're in that cemetery. We can't make the first move. God's got to, right? Like, think about it. If you're dead, like that boy in the coffin, he, he didn't make the first move. He wasn't like, Jesus, in here. Knock, 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 Jesus. No, 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 over here. He didn't. By the way, if that ever happens and I'm at a funeral, I'm out of there. But anyway, so Jesus, the, the boy didn't make the first move. He can't. He's dead. God makes the first move. God's made the first move. Through the compassion of the Father, he sends the Son. And the Son, like in the story with the widow, widow and the boy, the Son has the power to raise the dead to life. This is phenomenal. The compassion and love of God is unbelievable. I should have finished Colossians 13. I gave you half of it. I'm sorry. Let me finish. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature had not yet been cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. Did you hear that? See, God doesn't just want to forgive some of your sins. God doesn't want to just forgive the little sins. God wants to forgive all your sins. The little ones, the big ones, the ones that nobody else knows about. He forgives them all. That's good news. See, here's good news. You don't have to carry that crap anymore. Oh, that's good news. I mean, the widow had to carry so much grief and hurt. And the future was basically very dismal. You don't have to, here's your son back. Here's, your, here's my son. You don't have to carry that anymore. You don't have to. See, because my son Jesus paid a price that you cannot pay. And the grace that draws us into the Holy Spirit, that draws us into God and Jesus, that's God making the first move. He made the first move when he said, Jesus, I need you to go. I'm sending you to do something that only son that you can do. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. So, as we close, how many crowds are there? Two. But let me, let me give you a little, a little curveball. There's two crowds, and there always ever will be. And we're in one of them. We know that. You and I are both, we're in a crowd. We're in one or the other. But there's, but there's three types of people. There's three groups of people, right? You maybe have heard it said before. There are three groups of people, all right? Those that know math and those that don't. <laughs> I know, that's pretty sad, isn't it? Um, so, but that's not what I've done. No, there are three types of people in this story. Two groups, three types of people. I want to give you what they are, and then you're going to watch some baptisms. The first group are those that don't know Jesus, and they know it. They, they know it. They're, they're like, it could be an atheist, it could be agnostic, it could be someone that's heard about Jesus, but they're not. And they even believe in Jesus. Yeah, he was real, and yeah, he raised people. Yeah, I believe he raised the boy from the dead. It doesn't really impact me in my life. Right? So, so they, 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 they don't really know Jesus. They don't know Jesus personally. And they're, they're okay with it. It's like, whatever. So back, they're in that crowd A. That's the crowd heading to the cemetery. So that's, a, that's a, not a huge crowd. It's a, or not a huge group. It's a small group. Before you show the next group, just let me, let me give a disclaimer. The next group 
is also heading to a cemetery, right? They're all, they're all, they're in the crowd with the first group. This next group is by far the largest group out of all of them. By far! This next group that I'm going to show you is a group where your pastor, I was in this group almost all my life. Didn't know I was in the group. I would say I was in the other group, but I wasn't. Here it is. Now we can show it. Those who don't know Jesus, but think they do. This was me. I believe in Jesus. I believe in that miracle. I believe in what he did. I even believe in the cross and the tomb and all that stuff. It just isn't going to impact me personally. Like, I believe it in my head, but I'm not going to, like, sell out to it. I mean, I'm not going to let it impact my life. That was me. I, I, well, how do I say it to people? I believed in Jesus, but I lived like he didn't exist. I believed in Jesus, but I lived like he didn't exist. He would not, it did, my life didn't look different than group A. No different. No di- maybe I hit church once in a while. Maybe I throw up a prayer or two before a meal. But other than that, there, by and large, 99.2% of my life looks the same as the, the first group. So I, I don't want to park here too much because we got a party to celebrate. But most of the people in this group would say they're not in the would say they're not in this group. It's crazy. I did a whole series on it last year. It's one of my most favorite series, probably one of the most impactful series we've ever done as a church. If you have YouTube or iTunes, I beg you to watch it. It's called the Unsaved Christian. Unbelievable. But it centers around Matthew 7. And many people say, yes, we're going to a city. We're going to eternity. We're going to the kingdom. And we're going to party with Jesus forever. And Jesus said, no, you ain't. But we know you, Jesus. We even did great things in your name. And you know what Jesus says to him? I, I, I didn't know you. Like, I know you thought you were going to a city. But you've been destined for a cemetery. I mean, it's, and it's crushing it's, but it was me. Maybe that's why it's so crazy to me. I'm so grateful for the grace of God in me waking up, rising up, and recognizing it. Okay, so the first two groups are on a way to a cemetery. Even if they say they, they're not. The third group. Those who know Jesus, and they know it. They know that they know that they know. They know it, and their life reflects it. There's, there's fruit behind it. That's how you know. There's the, there's the actions. There's the compassion. There's the pausing at Nebraska Furniture Mart and spending maybe hours out of your agenda loving somebody that's desperate to be loved. Here's what the people in group three know. That crowd that's heading to a city, they understand that when you surrender your life to Christ, that isn't the finishing line. It's the starting point. That's what they know. They don't, they don't, they're in the world, but they're not of this world. They look different. You know, you watch them for a week, you're like, they don't, they're not living like most people live. They, they do some weird stuff. They're, they're, it's just different. The red tape, that's your life. That's all you got. They don't live for that. They live for this. A city that is to come. That's who they live. And I wrote it down. Their ultimate focus isn't this life. It is the life that is to come. Which crowd are you in? I love our kids. Our kids' ministry is our most important ministry. Jesus, Jesus has come to heaven as a child. 
Believe me by faith. I sent God with my, or God sent Jesus by compassion and love to die on a cross. Here's how you can know you're in the group, the, the group heading to a city. Sell out to, the, sell out to the king. How, pastor? Believe that God, by compassion and love, sent Jesus to die a death you can't die. To die on a cross, to cover, not just cover, I don't like that. They cover, the, the lamb covers sins, the goat covers sins, the lamb of God, he takes them away. They're not covered, they're gone. So, so Jesus dies on a cross, this is so pivotal, we have to understand how jacked up we are. Because if we don't understand the problem, we'll never really embrace the beauty of the solution. Jesus is dead on a cross. And this is where i got to repent to you. I, I, I didn't give you complete, accurate information right away when we started. Brent, you know what I said? I said, I told you that, that Jesus physically raised three people from the dead. That's not true. Because three days after he was dead on a cross, Jesus Christ brought himself back to life. That's four. And that is the reason that you and I have hope. Man, I just want to baptize somebody right now. I just do. I just, so, so, before we get to them, we have to deal with us. What crowd are you in? You can call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I just came here to watch my friend get baptized. No, 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 God brought you here for you. God brought you here for you. In your, in your mess, God says, I have a miracle. Call on my name, surrender to me, repent, just turn from your sin. By faith, believe. And ask me to forgive your sins and I'll do it. Do that now. Here's one reason you might know what group you're in. If somebody did come back to life in a coffin, we were at a funeral, we would freak out. We would, if that really happened, it would hit social it would hit tv it would hit the news not just in this country but every other country we would never hear the end of it it would be like the biggest news ever but how much more important is it when someone goes from death to life for eternity i mean we're baptizing 11 people today come on everything the world celebrates is temporal everything the church celebrates is eternal oh I need to invite some people up getting baptized. As I invite them up, I want you to watch these testimonies from them on the screen. Come on up. My name is Kirk. How has Jesus changed your life? Well, he has persistently been waiting on me and calling on me, and he just gives me that grace and that love that is unconditional, called out, and he uh, has just changed my life. He loves me so that I can love myself, which in turn I can love others. Just He's been there that way for me. My name is Aaron Rivera. Jesus has made every day more exciting. Uh, I feel more warm and like, ready to get up in the morning. Like There's a meaning to <laughs> just get out of bed and just instead of just dreading off of it or dreading out the bed, it makes me uh, feel happy. I'm oh, so much joy. My name is Eliana. Jesus has changed my life by giving me more courage and understanding. I want to get baptized because I got a message from him. I lost my mom when I was younger and I had been previously baptized, but I fell out of faith when she passed away. So I just want to renew my faith and become stronger. My name is Hunter. I was in a dark place for a long time and 
my early years through college and everything, and I came back here to trying to rebuild myself again. I want to get baptized because when you have one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus, you're never truly happy. And I wasn't truly happy trying to balance the two. I was giving myself excuses of why I couldn't and why I shouldn't yet. I decided that it was just time and I need this weight of my past off my shoulders and I want to live my life fully through him. My name is Gina Poole. Jesus has changed my life by growing up in the church, but mostly coming to Meadows and actually opening my doors to being around people and giving to the church and giving to the community and just falling in love with my new home. My name is Mia. He has changed my life by making my family and I blessed to do things that other people don't get to do. My name is Maya. Jesus changed my life by dying for my sins and giving me a way out of being eternally lost. My name is Dylan. Jesus has changed my life by, he's made me a much more caring, considerate, and just loving person in general. And he's also brought, well, my best gift so far and brought my fiance into my life. I want to get baptized because I want to declare to everybody that I am going to surrender to Jesus completely. My name is Aniston. How has Jesus changed your life? He's been with me when I am feeling sad. He watches over me and he answers my prayers. Me and my mom read the Bible every morning. My name is Tyra. He's changed my life by bringing me to church every week and I've been reading a lot of scripture and I want to be more obedient to him and trust him on these next steps into the rest of my life and I think my next step is to be baptized. My name's Harper. About like seven months ago, um, I started struggling a lot with self-harm and suicidal thoughts and he moved here. And that really, really helped. Everything really just started getting so much better. And it just finally all got better. I just feel like after the last seven months, I just need to reconnect with God and kind of refresh and restart. Hey, I want to thank you so much for watching today, but don't stop there. I want to invite you to like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, share this message with a friend. I mean, there are so many people out there hurting, struggling, and you have the ability to make an impact in their life. And finally, if, you're, if you live in the Omaha area, I want to encourage you, come join us on a weekend service. We would love, love to meet you. God bless you.